Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. We'll be covering the latest hot topics from the blogosphere and the recent FGS 2008 conference in Philadelphia with genealogy insider and managing editor Diane Haddad. In our top tip segment, we'll find out all about U.S. military records from the author of an upcoming Family Tree Magazine article on the subject, Rick Kroom. And we'll be spotlighting another terrific website taken from our 101 best websites for tracing your roots list. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. And Allison, there has been lots going on at Family Tree Magazine, so I'm excited to hear all about it from you firsthand. Tell us about your big news. Well, Lisa, we are launching a brand new website. Um, we're really excited about it. We've been working on it for quite a while, and um, it's just going live at the end of August. So, um, listeners, you can go in and take a peek right away. Um, it's not just a new look. We're actually um, getting a, a totally different architecture, so it'll be much easier to use and um, much easier to find the content that you're looking for. So when you say architecture, it's that underlying um, how it functions, how you find things. Um, it, it's certainly been a great website to work with, but it's going to be even easier to work with, right? Right. It's like you said, all that stuff behind the scenes that you don't necessarily see, but that helps you get through the website and find what you're looking for. So tell us about some of these new improvements. What have you got going? Well, the first thing is improved navigation. Uh, we've grouped content by category so that you can drill down through the different topics that interest you. Um, for example, we have a how-to section, and that includes topics such as records, tips and techniques, online genealogy, photos and heirlooms, and so on. And one of the things I noticed was you're going to have a, a new heritage section, um, which is great. So if you know a particular heritage that you want to look into, you're going to be able to jump right to it, right? Absolutely. Um, it's kind of like the ethnic toolkits on our old site, um, except that everything will be grouped all together and there's no limit to um, how much we can have um, in terms of different articles and resource lists and that sort of thing. Well, it sounds like a great resource. And, and I'm guessing probably on a monthly basis, you're getting all kinds of people who are new to genealogy and you're going to have a section just for them, right? Absolutely. It's called Get Started, and it's for all the newbies out there. We'll have articles on research basics, surnames, interviewing, and then one of my favorite features is the genealogy glossary. So we've kind of combed our archives for all of those terms that you might find unfamiliar, and we'll have them all in one convenient place. Oh, that's great. Now, I know for me the big challenge is you go to a, a website and obviously lots of content, which you guys certainly have, um, but you know you're looking for something specific, and you've really um, increased the number of search boxes, haven't you? So hopefully we can just search from wherever we are on the website. 
That's absolutely true. There will be a search box on every page of the site, so wherever you are, whatever you're looking for, um, if you want to find something else, just type it in there, and it's powered by Google, so it has that same kind of um, search functionality that you expect. Oh, terrific. And uh, another feature I think that you mentioned to me before we went on air was about the the subscription. Um, you know, we're, we're familiar with kind of subscribing to a blog. How will this work on your website? Yeah, that's a great feature um, that I'm really excited about um, giving users the opportunity to do this. Each type of article category is going to have a little subscription option so that you can subscribe via a technology called RSS. And basically all that means is if you want to automatically receive new articles on that particular topic, when we post them, you click this button and it will display them in whatever RSS reader you might be using. If it's Google um, or another one, you can get those um, when they're posted. See, and I love that because rather than us being kind of the slave to the internet and having to go out there and keep rechecking, with this kind of a feature, you can tell the website what to send to you. So you're not constantly having to go out and look every day, right? Yes, that'll certainly be convenient. Um, some other convenient features that I like too are in any article that you're looking at, there's some additional options for um, sharing and managing that content. For example, um, there'll be a printer-friendly version of every article. Right. You can also click a button to email it to a friend, um, and you can bookmark it either in your browser or different social networks. So if you wanted to, say, save it in Facebook and send it to all your Facebook friends, you can do that. Oh, and Facebook has just exploded with genealogists. Have you noticed that lately? I have. My friends have increased uh, probably at least threefold in yeah. recent months. And see, this is great. So now we can really quickly um, shoot an article over to somebody that we know that they're going to they're gonna be able to use it too. Yeah. And in addition to all these great new features, um, I'm glad that we're going to be keeping a lot of the old favorites from our former website. Um, we have a research toolkit section now, and that's going to combine our free downloadable forms, the 101 best websites, our sound deck generator, and some of the other features that those of you have, who have visited the old site um, will be used to and probably want to refer to again. Um, we will also be keeping the same website address, so we're at www.familytreemagazine.com. There will be some content that moves to new locations, so if you have like a particular article bookmarked, that might have changed, but as we were talking about, that search engine is going to make it really easy to locate content, so um, just plug in your term and you should be able to find it pretty quickly. Um, we'll also have an overview of the various sections and features on this new site uh, on the site, so you can go to the show notes and we'll give you a link to that page for more details. Great. Well, so the website, again, the address remains the same. It's familytreemagazine.com. And as Allison says, we can um, use those search boxes throughout the website to locate anything that we've um, looked at in the past that we're interested in finding again. And, and uh, this sounds really exciting. Um, terrific. Thanks so much for coming on the show and introducing us to it. It's, it's ready to go now, right? It sure is. So I would invite all of the listeners to go out there and check us out and you can also send an email to the podcast ftmpodcast at gmail.com and let us know your feedback terrific thanks so much allison thank you well this is a little unique 
podcast uh, segment because I'm here at the FGS conference with Diane Haddad, um, editor at Family Tree Magazine, and we are strolling down the aisle here at the FGS exhibit hall. Mm-hmm. I'm a newbie, Diane. I have not <laughs> been here before, and you are the genealogy insider, so you tell me, say. <laughs> explain to me and everybody else what we're seeing and what we're doing here. Well, we are in the exhibit hall, as you said, which is where um, vendors or genealogy organizations and businesses come to display their products, and representatives are here um, to explain the products, and then you also can see demos. Um, for example, Family Search brings a huge booth here, and they have internet access and computers. They can help uh, visitors to the conference learn how to use the different um, databases on Family Search. Ancestry.com also has a booth. Footnote has a booth. And then you have publishers. Um, for example, our magazine, Family Tree Magazine, is here. Genealogical.com is a well-known genealogy publisher. They're here with books that you can buy and you can learn what books they're introducing. It's also a great chance to meet magazine readers and other genealogists. You can network with people. So um, it's just a really good experience for a genealogist. It really is. It's like, and and really, we've got worldwide vendors here. I know the folks from Ireland, Roots, and um, it's like they've all come here, and you can put faces with names, and you can see the products live. Um, It's really exciting. And with four days, you can still get in an awful lot of classes and still make the rounds and see everything here. Um, And here we are at the Family Tree Magazine booth. So let's come in here and talk a little bit about um, what you have picked up, what's the inside scoop on what's been launched, what's been announced here at uh, the FGS conference. Well, conferences such as FGS and also the National Genealogical Society Conference is another big one. Um, Those are places where the genealogy businesses traditionally do announce news and, you know, what they're coming out with. And this conference actually has been relatively um, quiet as far as news goes. Mm -hmm. Um, One announcement that happened was Ancestry.com's World Archives Project, which is their volunteer indexing project is going to work with FGS member societies. So those societies will provide volunteers to index records and then Ancestry.com will donate digital copies of the index and the record images to those societies. Oh, fantastic. And I was just talking with Jim Beidler, who is one of the co-chairs of the um, conference, and he said that they announced last night the banquet where 2010 is going to be taking place. Yes, and that will be in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is um, the co-sponsoring society there will be the East Tennessee Genealogical Society. They have a wonderful library and facility there, so I'm very excited for that one. Great. Well, again, here at the FGS conference, if you haven't been to a conference yet, you got to come. Diane, thank you so much. You're uh, we'll go make a tour of the classes and see what else is new here. Okay, great. Great. Thank you. We're back here at the Family Tree Magazine booth, having had a chance to kind of walk through the halls. There's several levels of halls with lots and lots of classrooms. I think there must be about 10 classes running simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And um, again, being the newbie, I wanted to chat with you for a few more minutes to have you just tell us more about the conference experience. Okay. Another opportunity that visitors to the FGS conference or any genealogical conference 
can experience is the chance to talk with people who are familiar with local research. A lot of local county genealogical societies will attend these conferences and they'll bring their publications and the volunteers from the society and you can ask them questions about records and um, you know where do I find this and every society has some kind of court or every county I'm sorry has some kind of quirk like a courthouse fire and people who are used to researching there will be familiar with those quirks and can help you try to get around those. So that's um, international societies also will come to genealogical conferences. So we have a, a British society right next door. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then something else that happens at many conferences is something called the Ancestors Roadshow, in which professional or you know other experienced researchers will come and set up shop and you can bring your genealogical questions whether it's a brick wall problem or maybe a more general So we're not question. coming to see how much great-grandpa is worth as an antiques roadshow. No. Right. <laughs> They're going to actually give us a little bit of expertise on maybe yes. how to find great-grandpa. Yes, yes. You can bring your specific question and get some professional advice and that's a free service. That is, that is really neat. They're, they're just making it so interactive. That's what really strikes me here is there's something for everybody. Right. And it's, it's amazing the serendipity that happens here at conferences. Um, I had kind of a mental checklist of some people that I wanted to hopefully cross paths with. Uh -huh. Well, it started in the shuttle on the way from the airport to the hotel. Oh, really? And one of the key people that I wanted to talk to at this conference happened to get in the shuttle with me. So um, mm -hmm. it's just funny. You do. You cross paths. And... And you do start putting names with faces, and with the surge in, in applications like Facebook yes. and other social networking, don't you find you just feel like you're getting to know a bigger and bigger community? Mm -hmm. There are people I've emailed with who I've never met in person, and I'll come here and I'll meet them in person. And it's just like, I already know you. <laughs> and then you see them again next year. Exactly. And, of course, Family Tree Magazine is always a wonderful staple here. You've got a booth here in the hall, and mm -hmm. folks can come by, pick up a copy of the um, current issue, and pick up compilation CDs. But best of all, get to meet the editors of the magazine and hear what's going on. Yeah, that's one of our favorite things about being here is that we do get to meet readers, and um, oftentimes they'll say it's a great magazine, or they'll have ideas and suggestions for articles, and it's just wonderful to hear all of that. For people who aren't able to come to conferences, you know, if you have an article idea, you can go to our, our online forum, which is familytreemagazine.com slash forum, and there's a talk to us category where they can also... Um, you know, suggest articles, ideas, give feedback. We love to hear it. Did you get a chance to do any sightseeing here in Philadelphia? I did. I went to Independence Hall. Oh, great. Um, and to the, there's a whole area of Philadelphia with all of the um, sites that are vital to our country's history. Liberty Bell, Betsy Ross House. And, you know, I was able to see all of that. It was great. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Any other tips for folks like me who hadn't been before to the national conference and might be planning for next year? Um, I would say definitely visit the website of the organization, so fgs.org or ngsgenealogy.org for the NGS conference. Um, you'll get to look at what kind of classes they're going to be. They have blogs where they'll update you on different events and field trips that are happening. You can look for roommates if you want to split the cost of lodging. Right. So um, that's a great resource for people who are thinking about going to a conference. Great. Well, I don't know about you, but I worked up an appetite. Let's go get something to eat. Okay, that sounds delicious. All right. <laughs>
I'm here at the FGS conference in Philadelphia with Rick Kroom. And Rick, I know that you have been busy. You've been uh, talking here at the conference. How are things going for you so far? Um, very well, thanks. I have a presentation today, another one tomorrow, and I gave my first one yesterday on researching British ancestry online. Oh, great. So they're keeping you very busy here. Yes, and this afternoon I'm giving a presentation on, on researching your ancestry in Wales. It's a case study telling exactly how I traced my own ancestors back from Pennsylvania to Wales. Oh, terrific. Well, today um, we get a chance to talk to you about American records um, because you've got a new article coming up in the magazine about military records, correct? That's right. I think what's fascinating about this article is you really take a comprehensive look. You're going to start all the way at the Revolutionary War and work your way up into the 20th century. And um, one of the things that really caught my eye that you know you and I were just discussing was in the Civil War records, and we'll talk in a minute about 20th century, but what I love about the Civil War records is that um, these are folks that it's very likely we may not even have a photograph of. But you were telling me that these records might give us still a clue about what these folks, what their military service was, but even what they look like. That's right. The pension files in particular really give a lot of detailed information describing not only a soldier's service, like what battles they served at or which regiment they served in, but um, they often even provide uh, a physical description of the soldier. So you might get a description of his height or weight or eye color. Um, for instance, in researching my own family history, um, my great-grandmother had three brothers who served in the Civil War from Pennsylvania, and I found um, Civil War service files for all three of them, pension files for two of them. The third of these th three brothers was killed in the Battle of Antietam, so um, he didn't survive to get a pension. Right. But in the other two pension files, I found a really a lot of information. For instance, um, the physical descriptions tell um, exactly not only where they served, but a lot of detailed information. Um, for example, for Henry Hall, um, one of the records says that he was 5 feet 10 inches tall with a fair complexion, gray eyes, and dark hair. Um, his brother Jonathan Hall's pension file says he was 5 feet 7 inches tall with a dark complexion, so he was short and dark while his brother was um, light and fair. But the um, shorter Jonathan had blue eyes and brown hair. And I found that these physical descriptions don't always jive in one um, record. Let's say when the soldier first enlisted, he'll be um, listed as having um, a height of 5 feet 7 inches. And then um, later on in the Civil War, another record will say he was 6 feet tall. But, oh but still, they give you a general idea. That's fascinating. And wouldn't that be kind of a help if you had a, a photograph you couldn't identify and you were trying to decide and you knew one brother was light-skinned and one was a little more darker-skinned, you might be able to even make some clarification there. Yes, you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, I don't think I have any pictures that could possibly be these soldiers. But if you were um, trying to identify family pictures from this era, maybe... Um, people who you can recognize as Civil War soldiers, maybe they were even wearing their uniforms, and you could compare those with uh, physical descriptions from the pension files. 
Uh, who knows? You just might be able to pin a name on those people. Now, if somebody had a Civil War uh, veteran in their family tree, where would you suggest they start? One of the best places to begin your research for a Civil War ancestor is a free database called the Civil War Soldiers and Sailors System, and it is quite a comprehensive index um, drawing on several types of records relating to the Civil War. Uh, so you could search for your last name or a first name and a last name, and if it's a common name, you might get a lot of matches. I really had trouble narrowing um, down my search for a Charles Hall and a Henry Hall to the right Charles Hall, oh, and the, especially since um, one thing that really threw me off was that they lived in New York, but for some reason they decided to head southward to Pennsylvania to enlist in the Civil War. But then I did some matching and found that both of them, I found a Henry Hall and a, and a Charles Hall who served in the same regiment from Pennsylvania, and they turned out to be the brothers. And so this Civil War soldiers and sailors system is a really good tool for identifying um, the regiment that your ancestor served in, when he served, and it gives you enough information so you can get a copy of the soldier's service and pension files, the original records from the National Archives that really give you a lot more detailed in information. And what I love about that site is, I, as I recall, you could go in and actually look at regiment histories. So when you knew which, found out which regiment they served in, you could actually go back and read that overview, which gives you more context. You're, you're absolutely right. The site is quite comprehensive in covering the Civil War. It doesn't cover just um, indexes to Civil War soldiers. When you find a soldier and it lists his service, there are, are links to histories of the battles and regiments that give you a lot more background information so you can put your um, Civil War ancestor's service in historical context and understand his service much better. And I love that. And, and of course, we'll have a link for the listeners in the show notes for this episode so that they can go check out that website. Now, there was one more um, type of record that you highlighted that I thought we really should touch on. Um, that, that, of course, they're going to find all the detailed information in your terrific article. But we were talking about in the 20th century, um, the World War I draft records. And uh, these records pretty much are going to benefit just about every genealogist out there, wouldn't you say? Right. Even if your ancestor did not serve in World War One, there if he was the right age to possibly have served in World War One, there's a good chance that he registered for the draft. In fact, if he was born between September eleventh, eighteen seventy two and September twelfth, nineteen hundred, and was living in the United States, maybe even if he wasn't a US citizen he still would have been required to register for the World War I draft. And uh, until recently, uh, these um, draft registration cards weren't easily accessible. You could order them on microfilm from the National Archives, but there were no comprehensive indexes. Right. And recently, Ancestry did create an, a complete index, and they digitized all of these draft registration cards. So you can search Ancestry's um, database, um, search the index to these World War I draft registration cards, and then view the actual card right on your computer. And they give a lot of um, information. Um, one um, 
one nice piece of these cards is that they usually have the registrant's signature, so you can actually see your family member's signature on the card. I love that about them. And, and like you say, I remember when they first came out, I think I sat there for hours and just went through my tree and picked out all the men from that area, and it was amazing. There was pretty much a card for everybody. Right, right. Um, for instance, I found my grandfather Evan Morgan's card, and it says he was a deputy county treasurer, and it describes him as short with a medium build, gray eyes, and brown hair. So you can even get a physical description of the, of the um, registrant on these cards. Well, perfect. Rick, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, listeners can go to the show notes and look forward to the upcoming um, family tree issue that's going to have your article because it is just so comprehensive and there's so much there that pretty much everyone's going to benefit from. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You're, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. to highlight another one of those 101 best websites that was featured in the September 2008 issue of the Family Tree magazine. Tucked into the best for us researchers category is one of my favorites, the Minnesota Historical Society website. So let's head over to mnhs.org and take a tour of this website from the state known as the Star of the North. From the home page, click on the Family History tab. If you have ancestors from Minnesota, you will very likely to be able to make good use of the databases found here. Both the Minnesota Death Index, which features death cards from 1904 to 1907, and death certificates from 1908 to 2001, and the Minnesota Birth Certificates. That database covers 1900 to 1934. The databases on this website are easy to use, and they offer a variety of search options. Believe me, being able to narrow a search for the surname Larson down to one county is a big help. And best of all, they offer free search results with a good bit of information, including the full name, birth date, certificate number, and the mother's maiden name. Now, once you locate a file, you can purchase a copy of the certificate by adding it to your shopping cart, and certificates run $9 each. The site also offers marriage record requests through its online store. Now, marriage records in Minnesota are kept by the county, and the society has records for about 15 of the counties. Their staff will search for one bridal couple in one county per request. To see which counties and years of records are available, click the county box in the search area at the bottom of the page. And, of course, I'll have a link to that page in the show notes for this episode. Again, the research prices run for Minnesota residents $12, for non-Minnesota residents $15, and if you're a member of the Minnesota Historical Society, you'll get a 10% discount, which is applied during your checkout. And it usually takes them about 15 to 20 days to ship your certificates. Researchers also have the option of borrowing microfilm of the marriage records through interlibrary loan so that you can do the research yourself. Now, I've ordered many, many records through this website, and it's really been a very reliable way to order records. 
Another database that should not be overlooked is the Visual Resources Database. Now, you won't find it in the Family History area, but rather under the Collections tab. Something to keep in mind when searching a database like this that is chock full of photographs, art, and posters is that your ancestor's name may not be listed in the title of the photo. So here's an example from my own research. My husband's mother's family came from a little town called Winthrop in Sibley County, Minnesota. Now, I searched on a number of variations of names, but really without success. Since Winthrop was a fairly small town, I decided to go back and do an advanced search using Winthrop as my keyword. Now, this brought up a number of wonderful photos showing the town and its people. On about the third page, I saw a photo of two unidentified men standing in a hardware store. And, of course, I recognized the man on the right immediately as my husband's great-grandfather, Lars J. Larson. Lars owned that Larson hardware store for many years, and um, really photos of him in the store are rather rare, so this was an exciting find. I contacted the Historical Society to order a copy of the photo and also to let them know the identity of the man. They've since relabeled the photo, which now identifies Lars, and I have a wonderful reproduction of it. So don't limit yourself to ancestor names, but use the advanced search to use a variety of relevant search terms to see what you can unearth. The Minnesota Historical Society website also boasts that it has been sprinkled with water. Now, what does this mean? Well, it refers to a cool new tool that they've incorporated into the site. It's called WATER, which stands for Right on the Record. It's a free tool that you can use to add comments to their content. You can use it to enrich the record with information that you have. You can also use WATER to contact folks who have left comments or to subscribe to comments for that item so that you'll be notified when comments are added by others. Look for the water drop graphic throughout the website. And if you see a number in parentheses, that's the number of comments that have been added to that particular record. You just click on the comment link to view or post comments. And finally, you'll want to search the Society's extensive library catalog to see what other types of materials are available. Now, I've just scratched the surface of this very robust website that is a true Star of the North. Thanks so much for joining me for the September 2008 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com and click the podcast link to check out the show notes for this episode. I'll have links to all the websites mentioned. And you can also subscribe to the magazine right there from the website so that you'll be sure to get great articles like Rick Kroom's upcoming article on U.S. military records. Next, check out the video version of my conversation with Diane Haddad at the Family Tree Magazine YouTube channel. You can find that at youtube.com slash user slash Family Tree Magazine. And again, I'll have that link for you in the show notes.
Then head over to your genealogy database and pull out those Minnesota ancestors that you have and head over to the Minnesota Historical Society website at mnhs.org to look for birth, death, and marriage records. And of course, don't forget to look through their wonderful collection of photographs. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, I hope that you'll tell your friends and your local genealogy society about it. You can find us on the web at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available in iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family trees.